Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. And we are live. All right. Fact Checking Dune with Mark Metz. We are going to take a look at the new Dune movie and review that a little bit and uh, talk about what we thought about it. Uh, we both read the book and I was actually brushing up on some stuff before we got started and we were talking about some other stuff. Um, and, and I got into some conversations over the last week or so about different aspects of Dune uh, on Twitter and stuff. I I do really appreciate the fact that there are a lot of people who I don't think knew that this was a book who have started to look at that since yeah. this movie came out. Like it's it's yeah. it's generated uh, it's at least generated some buzz around that, which is really cool in in my opinion. So so that is a, an interesting thing and a good thing that's come out of it. So I guess let's take it from uh, just how do, what did you think about the movie overall? Overall, I think, which is funny, I'm about to say that I was entertained. <laughs> Seems like there are a lot of people on Twitter who had that complete opposite effect where they're like, this was boring, nothing happened. But I thought it was entertaining. Obviously, we can get into the parts where it didn't necessarily follow along with the, the book or the movie took some some liberties, I guess. But I was entertained enough to watch it at home. And then I went to the theaters to watch it to get the whole full effect. Um, I do like, um, like Hans Zimmer's like soundtrack, like the soundtrack of the movie was really, really good. I don't know what you thought of that. That was, yeah, that was something that I, that I did want to touch on because I really liked the soundtrack. Like it really, um, it really made the, the show come kind of come to life, especially because, you know, you've got the, the different worlds, um, you know, when they start out on, on their home world and then, and like the way that he builds the, the music and the thematic elements there and then moving to Arrakis and, uh, you know, with the Fremen and everything else and kind of the way the, the music and the tone really fit that like desert planet setting. Like I, I, I was really impressed with I was really impressed with the score. Like I, the whole time I thought like this music is like spot on. At yeah. every time. And this is the guy that does, is it, it's not Lord of the Rings. He does uh, the star Wars soundtracks, right? Yeah. Hans I think Zimmer. that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah I thought I the was... cinematography was good too. Um, there was a, I don't know if you're a fan of the, the Lord of the Rings movies. No. Yes. You, you like the books. You already, you already know that. <laughs> I, I just talked, before we got started, I just talked about owning all of J.R.R. Tolkien's written yeah. works. But it, it's it's weird because when the uh, 
the the first trilogy of the Lord of the Rings movies. Like I thought the the camera work and the cinematography of that was good. And then when the Hobbit comes out, I I absolutely hated it. I hated all the Hobbit movies. For and I think this cinematography actually is more in line with the Hobbit, but it works better for science fiction than for fantasy. I thought. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was the the way they lay it out and show you the world and show you the different elements of it and like the desert and the worms and uh, like the city because they capture all of the, I thought they did a really good job of capturing all of the like big parts of this that uh, like you didn't in the first, in the first Dune, I I guess I say the first Dune movie, the, you know, early eighties Dune movie. Mm -hmm. It uh, like, they never really had the big wide shots. They never had the really big, like, show you this world in all of its grandeur because it is a very it is a very well built universe that Frank Herbert created and so mm-hmm. you get to see it like on display and and really come to life and uh I thought it was in a really really cool and uh a very apt way like I, I liked I really liked the way that they did all of the like the ships, the spaceships and yeah, yeah. and the transports that they use and the shields and the weapons. Like it, it was, I thought it was well put together. Yeah. Uh, you brought up the worm. So I just sparked a question. <laughs> I heard your episode before this one, your solo episode that came out recently. And you were talking about how you've been watching foundation and how, you know, you feel like some of the artifacts or whatever don't fit the description in the book. Is that yeah. how you pictured the worm? <laughs> no, not particularly. Um, yeah. I didn't dislike it, but yeah, it wasn't that. I mean, you know, you've always seen the worm as like the like the three piece mouth that opened. You know, yeah. And I guess this mouth looked, to be honest, like a butthole. But it's, that's yeah, what I thought. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Now, now I can never unsee I'm that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't necessarily dislike it, but yeah, it, it wasn't exactly what I was imagine. But on that topic, and kind of thinking of it, so as you go through the Dune books, and maybe this is a spoiler. I don't know how far you've read in the book. Um, what you find out is that Arrakis and the Spice are a product of the worms. Like they are basically eternally burrowing through the planet, and the Spice is like a byproduct of what uh, they're burrowing. So to have it be a always open hole, like a mouth like that, yeah, the way yeah. it was. The way that they portrayed it might actually be more uh, physiological, physiologically accurate to what the worms do in terms of the book. But yeah, I mean that's never the way I pictured them. But when you think about it in the in the uh, in the large scope of what the worms, their purpose on the planet of Arrakis, it might be more uh, more accurate. Yeah. to have them okay. depicted that way, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Like I said, I don't know how far you've read into the into the book not, series. Not as far as you, that is for sure. <laughs> so so yeah, it's uh the 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 worms have a uh the worms and Paul have a very unique relationship as you go into the second and third books and and you got you get to see some of their importance to the planet. Uh like what their the worms real contribution is beyond just being these giant things that uh destroy stuff and yeah uh, and the, the yeah i think if someone life. yeah someone's going into this movie having not read the book or the books they're probably like what's the point of the worm so yeah kind that's of dig deeper yeah that's something that i really wanted to because because i think you and i both had kind of the same reaction right off the bat uh when i after right after i watched it and i sent you a message uh when you were watching it the first time i was like like my initial reaction to the movie was I really, really like this, but if somebody's coming in who has never read the books, they're going to be completely lost. Like, yeah. like I'm sure you can get like a high level of entertainment value out of it. And because it is an entertaining movie, like just surface level, if you don't know what's going on and you're just watching like for a beautiful picture and a good score and, plenty of action and fighting and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. it is a very good movie in that terms. But if you're like trying to understand what's going on, you're probably completely lost because like they, they, kind of, they just kind of throw you right into this world that uh, like with no context, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to be honest, you, you have to do digging even when you read the book for the first time too. Like it, you kind of like jump right into the story and you're trying to figure things out as you're reading along in the book as well. Um, but he kind of gives you, Herbert kind of gives you hints throughout and you can follow the story pretty well. I do think, I think if someone really did enjoy the movie or was entertained by it, I think it did a good job of maybe getting them to want to read it, motivating them to want to read it. I mean, if I saw, if I went in and watched this movie without having read the book, I would I would want to read it. It's the same as the Lord of the Rings. It's like, all right, I love those movies, but I hear that the books are infinitely better. So if they're infinitely better, then I got to dig into these. So right. I think that the movie did a good job of that. Um, I think you you understand more of the uh, I don't know like the themes or the dialogue that's going on in the movie. Obviously, um, if you read the book going in before, which I mean, which is. I mean, which is the case with all like movies or books in the movies. Um, but I don't know if you want to talk about that's You understand the, like the universe and the background better. If you want to give a brief background of it. Yeah. You explained it a little bit on our show a couple months ago. Yeah. We can do a little bit of the, <clears throat> the nuance of it. So, you know, it's, um, and see, this is, I actually had this conversation on Twitter with Adam Nutter and some others yesterday. Um, the people who uh, were talking about the sword fighting, like uh, why they use swords. And it, yeah, it actually, yeah. that was it. When you, jo- when you join the stream, actually the part that I was, that I was reading was the part where they talk about the, the shields and their swords. And um, because some, uh, and it, I've seen, I'm kind of scattered right now. <laughs> So I've seen it mentioned more than once that uh, why don't they have guns or, you know, why aren't 
why are they all sword fighting? And it's because of the the body shields that they all use. Uh, the the bullet or a bullet laser like that high speed projectile wouldn't would not pierce the shielding. So the swords and stuff that's uh, that's their way of getting through these shields. That the shields require a you know a low impact to pierce them. It's it's not something that's considered deadly. So the shield lets it through. So that's why it's uh, swords, knives, like close combat type fighting. And then somebody else had mentioned the the blow dart uh, that got through. Um, Leto's shield, mm-hmm. and that's that is actually explained in that's actually explained in the book is it's a it's a uh, slow dart or something of that nature. Like it, it's a it's a projectile specifically designed to penetrate a shield. It once it makes contact with the shield, it slows its it slows itself down so that it passes through the shield. Like the like the slow blade that uh, that Gurney talks about when him he, he and Paul have their sparring match. So that's that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the fighting and the weapons and stuff like that uh, in a nutshell. And then something that doesn't get explained like at, at all in the movie is the mentats. Um, you see. Uh, Shoot, and now I'm drawing a blank on his name. Anyway, the the guy who does the calculations for oh, uh, yeah um, starts with an H, right? Like, <laughs> I know. Why am I suddenly That's going? That's how back it. How it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so when you know when Duke Leto says, "How much did it cost for them to send this entourage here?" and he sits there, he's still behind. Yeah, yeah, and he like tells him instantly. Like, so in the in the Dune universe, uh, all computers have been basically banned and destroyed uh, because, and and Frank Herbert may have been um, a little bit uh, ahead of his time on seeing this, <laughs> yeah. but the reason that they were uh, banned and destroyed is because they basically enslaved humanity. And whether it meant like, Actual physical enslavement, like, uh, you know, Terminator Judgment Day type of enslavement of humanity, or just the way that uh, we are effectively slaves to our technology right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty prescient for him to to acknowledge that 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 the computers and the technology had enslaved humanity, and so they they did away with it. Uh, so, so instead of having computers, you have the, uh, the Mintats who are basically like very fine tuned, highly trained human computers. And then, so then that brought up, how can they not have computers if they're doing all of the space travel? Well, then that gets into the spice and the, the navigators of the spacing guild and all of that. And they don't actually travel through space. Um, the the guild navigators basically live their life in a uh, like 
super focused spice induced trance. Uh, like they are, they live in, they are completely engulfed in the spice and it has, which, you know, the, the books and stuff get into as you go on, but you don't really get, you don't really get to see a lot of the, uh, you don't really get to see the spice come into play a whole lot or be really given any explanation in this movie, uh, like whatsoever. The, the spice is just kind of a, uh, a thing that they do, but it doesn't have a whole lot of, at least for this movie, doesn't have a whole lot of meaning or, or given yeah. any legitimate yeah. purpose. But in the books, it's extremely important because the spice is how the guild navigators, basically it's like a, I don't know what would you call it. It's it, it's like magic mushrooms. Only it yeah, doesn't just make you think you're going to another universe. Like it actually puts you there. Like you it, are actually going. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, some crazy drug. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy hallucinogen that uh, can actually bend space and time. And so that's what the the guild navigators use the spice to not travel from place to place but to fold space over on itself where that you were here and now you're here. Like you don't travel, you don't travel through space. You arrive yeah. at your destination in space because they, they, they alter. I mean, basically they move reality to where, where you were is now somewhere else. Right. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the thousand foot view uh nuts and bolts of the the dune universe for because none of that stuff gets explained in any yeah in any way really uh and as far as the dune universe for this movie goes we've got um kaladin where house atreides begins in the movie and uh harkonnen is in charge of arrakis right and then there's this switch switch that is that you find out later is kind of maneuvered with the baron the head of the Harkonnens and the Emperor to kind of and, bring down House Atreides. Is that they, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of there's a whole lot of nuance that gets left out in in that side of it too. Like they don't uh, in this movie you don't get to you don't get an introduction to the 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 Emperor whatsoever. No, yeah. No. Which I thought was interesting. Uh, I mean not that not that he necessarily plays like a really huge role in the events that this part of the movie is, you know, describing from the book, but still like maybe to just, just to introduce him. So, you know, kind of who's there, but I, that's, that's semantics. Like it, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't take away from the quality of it for me. Uh, but so, yeah, the emperor, we can, we can really dig into this and we may as well. So, so <laughs> <laughs> house Atreides is, actually developing a weapon, which you don't see at any point in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. And let's see, this is going to be where the test comes for me is how do they build it out in two and three? Because I felt like this really set a good stage, but there's a whole lot of depth and nuance that if they don't, uh, if they don't really start fleshing that out and filling it in, in the next movies, then I will be disappointed. But at least for what this was in an, as an introductory movie, I really liked it. Uh, but so House Atreides is developing this weapon, and plus they are charismatic, they are well-loved, they have a massive army that is extremely strong, they have the best trainers with uh, with Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho, like, they have the best Mintat, they are, they are the house. 
They're threatening yeah. the emperor as well by becoming so strong. Right. And, and, and the really funny thing about that is uh, like Duke Leto does not have interest in being emperor. He does. He's yeah. not, he is not actually threatening the emperor in any way, but because of who they are and what their house represents, the emperor feels threatened. And so he, plus Arrakis is at this point in the story, effectively at unending war. Uh, it's God, it is a uh, uh, house Harkonnen occupied Arrakis is like the U S occupying the middle East. Like it's <laughs> non, it's nonstop war. And maybe we get oil out of it, but what's the toll that's being taken with constantly fighting unendingly, you know? Uh, yeah. So that, and uh, their baron is literally getting fed off of the riches. <laughs> like literally. And, and like, and his character, I like, I like the, uh, gosh, I can't remember the actor's name. Anyway, when I saw that he was going to be playing it, I was like, oh, I know, like this guy will do good. Like he, yeah. he will be fucking terrifying. And that's what, yeah. like, that's what you want from that character is like, he needs to not be not terrifying in like a physically intimidating way, but in just like a, this is the worst human being in the universe. Just kind of completely way. repulsive. Like he's just. <laughs> Right, and he and I liked it better in this one than in the movie made in the '80s because the Harkonnens were all redheads in the '80s, and I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) (laughs) hold up. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about. I didn't think about that. Might be how that might be personally offensive for you. (laughs) It's all right. I got over. But yeah, I mean, you're right on that, and and also uh, the way they were portrayed in the '80s was a little more cartoonish. Like yeah, they were, yeah. they were way over the top, uh, less creepy and more just disgusting. Whereas this yeah. really kind of sold the, uh, just evil. Yeah, just they're cold and just completely black. Yeah, there's like nothing, no yeah, sort but, of feeling there. Yeah. But so so with with the Harkonnen rule of <clears throat> of Arrakis, uh, there is. An opportunity to take the Harkonnens out, and and it can at least on the surface look like there's a good reason for it. So the like the so it doesn't look like the emperor is doing anything malevolent or you know mm-hmm. uh, malicious that he is taking what have been bad rulers of a very important planet. Yeah, it does seem in the in the book they are a little bit more privy to like this is this is a trap like even the duke is, whereas in the movie maybe you get the sense that the duke thinks it's a trap, but he's always like even in the book he thinks that he can maneuver his way out of the trap that the emperor and the Harkonnens are setting. But there's a little bit more element of surprise in the movie than what there is in the book. Yeah, they definitely played uh, they definitely played Leto off as a little bit more naive and yeah yeah uh, <clears throat> what's the i don't want to say principled but like uh ideological of, yeah 
he, like he he believes in what they're doing as a family and, and like he sees this as an opportunity in the movie the way they portrayed him like he sees this as an opportunity to change the planet and and to like make peace and all of that and not that that wasn't a part of the book but he also very clearly understood in the book like they're sending us here to to fuck us over one way or the other like yeah we are and and maybe there was a little more arrogance in the the book version that like you said he he believed that he could maneuver his way around it that he could they had the best military they had you know the best minds that they could withstand it and come out on top but he also i guess didn't know the full scope of how badly they were getting ready to fuck him right which they did they really think played it would that be part. uh yeah it w- they didn't think it'd be a combination of harkonnens and the sardacor which is the sword of the emperor coming in and, and they did a good job of, of playing that up and making of making them really be kind of yeah. terrifying for the movie too yeah. like I thought they did a. I thought they represented all of the different characters and and everything really well, um, just with the overall portrayal. Two of let's say so. One of my favorite scenes in the book and in both movies is um, Paul's first meeting with the 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 woman. I can't now the Bene the right woman <laughs> when he sticks his hand mm-hmm. into the box. I, that, that part always sticks out to me. So like what happens is he, his mom wakes him up like middle of the night. It's like, you got to follow me. She brings him to the, this woman. She's like, you have to listen to everything this lady says. And Paul's just kind of like super skeptical, understandably. So, um, so the lady is trying to figure out if Paul is, what is it? Is it animal versus human? Right. So she's, he's going to have to stick his hand into this box and he's going to experience immense pain. And if he removes his hand from the box, she kills him with the little, little thing she's holding in her hands that she's holding up to his neck. And if Paul takes his hand out, then he's no better than an animal because he's reacting to pain if he leaves his hand in there for the entirety of what she says, then he's, he's more than just an, a reactive animal. And I, I like the whole like meaning behind that. Just the whole thing that you have to experience pain, and obviously us as humans <laughs> experience pain all the time. Like you can relate it to even like I hate current events. Like I hate everything that's happened the last twenty months. Like it's been more mentally painful or spiritually painful for folks. But um, Paul comes out of that box stronger, and I think that obviously we can come out of this certain sort of pain as well stronger as long as we kind of we have to like determine ourselves to do that. And from the book perspective of it, there's also like an interesting, they don't, they don't give a lot of this uh, either, but there is an interesting backstory with why that test was necessary. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just to determine if he's, uh, you know, if he can uh, suppress his base or animalistic instincts, but Jessica was not supposed to have a son. She was supposed to bear only daughters Mm-hmm. And it, which is explained more uh, later on as the book series goes. <clears throat> the goal of the Bene Gesserit was they were going to have uh, 
Atreides' daughters and Harkonnen's sons, and they were going to marry them and create like a super house, uh, which was the like the Bene Gesserit is really interesting because you have the emperor and you have the like the emperor is the you know the one in control, but he's really not in control of anything. Uh, the spacing the spacing guild and the Bene Gesserit are the ones who are actually controlling everything in this universe and like the political figures are are just the puppets that are being moved around to to do their bidding but so sounds familiar right right doesn't it? it's, <laughs> i mean we've got we've got war in the middle east uh you know connections here we've got the the way political power is kind of pulled and manipulated uh, that, that's something that i really like and then did you see the critiques about the about the Islamic stuff? We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so, <laughs> the Lady Jessica is supposed to have have daughters so that they can be married off to the Harkonnen sons and create this super house and yada yada yada. Well, she doesn't do that. She has a son uh, because she and she does it because she loves Leto. And uh, something that's not necessarily explained is she's not his she's not his wife. Uh, she is his concubine for less for lack yeah. of a better better word way to put it um but as far as leto is concerned like she is his his wife like he he loves her and she's the you know mother of his son and she gave him a son because she knew that that would make him happy that that's what he wanted and the movie kind of played it as a little more of a jessica was trying to trying to manipulate something and i don't mm-hmm. i don't remember that from the book i thought i'm pretty sure it was I, di- I didn't think there was that uh trying to create you know the one on her part, yeah. like she was, she was having a son because she knew that's what that would make Leto happy. Am, am I right on that? Like I, I think, I think you're. Right. I think there's, I think just the same as like Paul. You can tell that he struggles throughout the movie with versus like his own destiny versus look. I just want to be a regular dude or whatever. I'm, I'm a freak. Is basically what he says. Um, I think there's also that kind of conflict in Jessica as well, where she kind of has the pressures of the Bene Gesserit and then she has Leto wanting a son and she kind of filters back and forth too, more in the book than in the movie. And that was something else that uh, I saw a critique of, of the character of Jessica that talked about that they made her kind of sniveling in the movie and that she was like this strong woman in the book, but, but she becomes that strong woman woman later in the book. Like for this first part of the movie, that, that, I, I didn't feel like that's a necessarily a bad characterization. Like that kind of is yeah. who she was. Like once they join the yeah. Fremen and she becomes a, uh, uh, what is the, like the mother or whatever. Oh um, yeah. Um, I know what you're talking. I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be covered in the next movie. <laughs> so whenever <laughs> she makes that transition in life, yeah. then she becomes that strong, formidable woman. But for this part of the story, she's well represented. Like that is kind of who she was for this portion. She's trying to protect her son, hoping for the best for her husband and knowing that she's pregnant, trying to take care of herself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, she was kind of a feeble character in that part of the book. So I, I didn't think that criticism was very apt, especially if, if you know what's coming next, now that they have joined the Fremen, like she's going to, if again, if she doesn't develop into that person over the next two movies, then yeah, I'll be disappointed. But for just what this movie is, uh, 
it did a good job of setting that up. Yeah, I think they, uh, I mean, this was written in the 60s too. So this is a really anti-feminist take from me, but <laughs> so you're, you're more like masculine strength is on the outside and you're in the, the feminine strength is more of like an in, inward type thing, right? And this has been true throughout time. And you see that during the scene that we were talking about earlier with the box where she's standing outside the door. Like that takes a lot of strength to bring your son into that sort of situation because you know what could happen. And I think they did a good job of portraying her as she's standing outside the door, repeating fear is a mind killer, fear is a mind killer. And I think that was, that's how I envisioned it when I read the book. So they did a good job of that. Yeah, I agree. And I like this portrayal that, Timothy Chalet or whatever his name is. Uh, I liked his portrayal of Paul better than I did the the 80s movie version. I did, because, I did too. Yeah. Like like literally on page one, you know, Paul's a 15 year old, and, and like you can buy that he's a 15 year old. Yeah, he looks like a 15 year old. Yeah. Yeah, and and that one he looks like he's in his mid 20s. Like <laughs> like he's almost an adult. Uh, you know, like. And that's an, uh, that's an important aspect of the book and, and everything is, is that he is very young, that like he is very green and coming into all of this as a child, not, not as a seasoned adult. Uh, yeah. So I think this, I think this movie captures that's that aspect of Paul a lot better. Yeah, and you you can see the reluctance too to sort of follow that destiny. He kind of knows that there is something with him that makes him different than yeah. the rest of the, the Atreides, and he doesn't want to. <laughs> he doesn't want to follow through with that at first, or maybe even throughout the whole movie. I mean, towards the end, you kind of see him coming into his own a little bit, and part of that is actually one of the few scenes that you do see kind of the spice working where they're kind of down in their little bunker and you see like the, the light shining and the spice is like surrounding him. He's becoming hyper aware. Um, I think the book kind of puts it as he's got like this blend of rationality and spirituality that the rest of the, the humans around him don't have. And yeah. he's able to, to, so he has dreams. So as a spiritual part as he has the dreams where he sees the visions and can sort of tell the future, but he says sometimes the future isn't realized uh, 100% to the full extent that he sees in the dream. Um, and then he's also kind of got, is it the mint? Does he have like a mint kind of rationality about him? Yeah. So he is, uh, Halleck has, uh, not Halleck. Um, gosh, now I'm gonna have to look his name up because it's going to piss me off that I forgot what, what uh, their mentat's name was, but yeah, he uh, he has so something that gets fleshed out more in the book. And actually, I think they they did it in the first in the original movie in the eighties, um, where you get to see where Paul is doing like the training, and uh, like all of all of them are there to watch him like train, basically. Um, and he does have the Mentat training as well. And he has mm-hmm. battle training. And he has his uh, mother's Bene Gesserit training. Bene Gesserit, so yeah. he's he has been... He's he a freak, like he says. Yeah, yeah. He's been trained in so much different stuff. Like, he is very, uh, very diverse. Where, you know, like, the Bene Gesserit train is Bene Gesserit. 
period. The Mentats train as Mentats, period. The Warriors typically train as Warriors, and he's got all of this. So he he is kind of uh, uniquely developed as a character in that he does see the world and everything from like multiple different facets that most of the other characters wouldn't uh, just because of the nature of kind of the sectarian way that that culture is built uh, for this universe, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting too. the, uh, a very, a very high level of specialization uh, in the, in the universe. It's, it's really cool. Uh, Yeah. And then one reason like the, the Fremen are so in tune to him possibly being, I can't remember the name that they use for him, but the one, is the Bene Gesserit over time kind of like lay out these myths that a savior is going to come. And like, it's kind of like prophecies being both fulfilled when the Atreides comes and there's Paul walking with his, with his mother and they're kind of off to the side, like wanting to get to see what their potential savior or whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're, I guess infiltration would be the best way to put it, but like the Bene Gesserit have uh, over, and like bearing in mind that this Dune, it's the the first Dune book is set in like the year I think ten thousand or something ten thousand five eighty one yeah. or something like it's set way way off in the future. Um, and the if you read some of the histories and stuff like the Galactic Empire as it is kind of construed in this universe has existed since like. Somebody, somebody's going to correct me because I'm going to butcher this. I want to say it's like 6,400 or so, like, uh, like that, or in the six, six thousand two hundred, six thousand four hundred, somewhere in that uh, general millennia is is when the kind of the galactic empire as it is now construed sort of came into being. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so the Bene Gesserit have been, you know, pulling the strings on shit for four thousand years at this point. Uh, yeah. so there's, there's definitely some, there's a lot of them laying out, kind of setting the table for things to come. And so there has been some, uh, like prophecies and stuff like that, that have spread even out to the, you know, these far reaches of, of the universe. And, and I think they do talk about it in the book that didn't the, uh, the Fremen had like a Bene Gesserit, uh, mother or whatever yeah i think that's what um she passes away and i believe jessica takes her place yeah and that's what we're going to see they've had been a jesuit uh you know influence for forever basically so yeah uh, go ahead oh um speaking of the fremen uh one of my quibbles (laughs) uh dr kynes as far as I can tell, is not a woman in the book. <laughs> no, it's not so that was a little. I was like, "Oh, that's who that's supposed to be." For a second, I was like, "This is not what I remember in the book." <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't necessarily. You weren't. You didn't have an issue. It didn't like. It didn't make me mad. Yeah. I, 
And as far as uh, like prophecy, another one of my favorite scenes in the book and the movie is when Kynes is helping Leto and Paul with their suits. And she has to pretty much adjust Duke Leto's suit and she goes to help Paul and he already has it perfectly set up. And then she kind of repeats prophecy of he shall know your ways as if born to them. Yeah. And he, he had cool his, he, she said like, uh, why did you, why'd you fit your boots like that? You have them slip fitted like the Fremen. And yeah. he said it just felt nat just felt natural. And, like the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did. So I guess I didn't necessarily take issue with Kynes being a woman. Um, because the overall importance of the character isn't necessarily impacted by whether it's a man or a woman. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. like if they go into this movie and you make Paul a woman, well then fuck you, I'm out. Like I'm not even yeah. going. I'm not yeah. even going to watch beyond the reveal of that. Like there are some characters, and this is something that that does piss me off in some. Uh, iterations of books into movies is that some of them will do this. Like they will take a primary character that has importance and is a man or is a woman and they'll, they'll gender swap them mm-hmm. and it completely fucks up the, the relevance of the character to the overall story. Like it might fit whatever they're doing for this rendition of the story, but I don't want that. <laughs> like I want the story to be told. Um, and for kinds, it was, like, it didn't matter if Kynes was a man or a woman. The purpose was still served. So that that's one of those things that I, I try not to get too hung up on stuff like that. Like, I didn't feel like it was some woke, uh, you know, catering sort of, or pandering. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. something, it wasn't some dumbass, like, Hollywood thing. Like, she was a very good actor for that role like she portrayed that character really well i i didn't uh, i didn't think that the character lost anything by being a woman as opposed to a man if that makes sense and she's dead now so right spoiler alert (laughs) right like that's that's kind of like it didn't matter because whether it was a he or she they're going to do what they were intended to do and die so, you know, a man and a woman can die just as well as a man, unless it's a Michael Myers uh, movie, in which case a gay couple cannot be murdered just as well as a straight couple. That is homophobic. <laughs> you know, I saw something about that controversy. I didn't read up on it. I was just um, not even going to give this any sort of time, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read I read the article because I'm a dumbass and I read everything. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I definitely I definitely lost brain cells for that one. I got I think drinking I think drinking a beer afterwards healed some of the brain there cells. There you go. There you go. Uh, we said that we liked this portrayal of Paul better than the the movie in the '80s. I liked Chani Chani in the movie in the '80s better than than Zendaya. I can't remember. I don't even know who played it. Played her in the eighties, but it, I kind of liked was, her better. I, I, um, I recently watched the movie a couple of weeks ago, so I, it's probably more fresh in my mind. Also, I just find her more attractive. Maybe that's why I like her better. I, don't <laughs> I, I can see that she. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Zendaya was was bad. I think she did a pretty good job with the role. Yeah, and and that that's going to be another one of those that. Um, 
it's going to be more important what they do with her in the next two movies mm-hmm. than what they did with her in this movie. Like this one was just kind of an introduction and she's one an thing, all right she's an all right portrayal of the character i guess like i don't have any i guess she's better as this than as uh mary jane and spider-man like <laughs> i didn't make Amen, any sense. brother Woo! yes uh speaking of redheads mary jane is supposed to be a redhead yes like that's that's not one of those things that uh don't mess with that l- listen disney you're fucking up all right <laughs> if mary jane is a redhead and she is every kid my age is or you know coming up in the 90s mary jane was the red-headed hot chick that you wanted to bone and now you take that away like you were doing a disservice to the redhead community and gingers are going extinct very quickly like it's a it's a genetic defect and that sucks for y'all but you know, like we've got to support our ginger community don't be taken away fic- fictional characters who are ginger when the the actual gingers are dying off. Come on, Disney. What the fuck? Said it better than I could. (laughs) One thing they didn't uh, cover in the movie, I don't know if they'll do this in the second one or the second part, but the guy that, the Fremen that Paul kills in a duel, since he kills him, it's on him to take care of his widow and the children of his widow. I don't know. Do you think they're leading into that? I, you don't even meet his widow in this movie. It's, I don't, from, from what I remember. There was no, in the movie, there was no indication given um, that these people exist at all. So, right. so that's going to be something that we'll see in the second movie. And that yeah. is, and like I said, like there's, there's going to be a whole lot that the second, because supposedly this is a trilogy. So there's going to be a whole lot that rides on the second and third movies in terms of yeah. if I continue to have a positive, uh, a positive review of this, this Dune, uh, yeah. this it's Dune a, series. It's a, the duel is interesting too, because we're, we're 10,000 years into the, into the future or whatever, or I guess 8,000 and some change. Um, and you, they're still uh, <laughs> these tribalistic, barbaric duels to sort of like get, <laughs> find your way within the group or whatever. And then they, he kills the guy, and instead of uh, shunning him or whatever, they're like, "Oh, you're part of our group now." Like this is. I thought that part was really well represented too. Um, the, yeah. Like the fight in that Paul was attempting to offer leniency and uh, hesitant to to kill somebody else uh, and, yeah. and having uh, Javier Bardem, uh, Stilgar, they're like, why is he playing with him? Like they're, they're about to get pissed off because yeah, they, they're like, why is he playing with our guy? Yeah. They think yeah. that he's just fucking with him and he's, he's never killed anybody. Like he doesn't, number one, he doesn't know their traditions. He doesn't know that like, this is a fight to the death period. There is no, uh, there is no surrender here. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, that he he does have Jameis outmatched and he's not like he's not toying with him. He's not fucking with him. He just doesn't want to kill like he legitimately yeah. doesn't want to kill him and uh and having and just kill is, like it's basically out of self defense too. It's like, well I have to do this or else I'm dead. Right. Like it's not this sort of like Jameis is act- actively trying to kill him. Right. Paul's just like, I gotta survive, survive, survive. All right, I got <laughs> I yeah. gotta kill him to survive. 
Right. He doesn't like he doesn't do it out of malicious intent. Like he he doesn't have any other way out. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that uh, that fight scene and the way they the way they did that. Uh, I thought it really I thought it really was telling of Paul and kind of explained him a little bit without explaining him a little bit. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, yeah, like you get to see him fight and and they tell you that. That Jameis is a is a very good fighter. So mm-hmm. like he's not he's not going into into this against uh, somebody that would be considered a an inferior opponent. Like he's going against a guy that literally everybody just assumes, okay, so now this Paul kid's dead, and then we're gonna kill his mom, and we'll all move on with life. And uh, and obviously that doesn't happen. Uh, and so you get to see you get to see Paul, Paul's fighting prowess and the way he. Uh, the way he handles himself in a in a fight, because at this point you haven't seen anything like that. Like you saw the sparring match with Gurney early on, and Paul has been completely removed from basically all fighting and action for the entirety of of the events that are going on on Arrakis. Which is, I mean, that's consistent to the books. Like he he he's not a part of any of that. Uh, he catches the the hunter uh, the hunter drone that. Yeah, the yeah. little drone that's trying to kill him. Uh, he catches that, but other than that, like he has been completely removed from all of the, all of the action of, of everything going on. So this is the first time you get to really see him, fight and and doing something. So, so I thought they yeah. gave a good portrayal of him. Uh, I, I liked that part of it. At one of the more powerful mo- moments in the movie, it's I think it's shortly after the fight, right, where the uh, Jessica. Paul's mom is is pleading with them to find a way to get Paul off of the planet. And then Paul's just like, no, like obviously getting off the planet keeps him safe. And that's kind of what he wanted when he didn't want to, he didn't want to follow his destiny or whatever. And now he's just kind of like, no, I got to stay here now. And that's where you kind of see a major change take place from Paul at the beginning of the movie to Paul at the end. And then he, he instantly gains the respect of the Fremen when he does that including Chani, who is really skeptical of him when <laughs> she first meets him. It, I, maybe it's because they didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, in this film putting putting Paul and Chani together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you only see, like, they only interact very, very minimally in that she gives, yeah. him, the, she gives him the knife. And basically tells him that James is about to kill him. Uh, so you don't get to see the, uh, because like in the book and, and even as you've seen from his dreams in the movie, uh, like he has this connection to her that as cheesy as it sounds like he's almost in love with her before he met her because of this, yeah. you know, dream connection. Dream, that he's had. Yeah. Whereas, uh, she's a Fremen chick that has literally spent her entire life fighting for her own survival. So, like, she's not too interested in uh, this soft-ass white boy from a water planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think they play up that dynamic. I think that's that might be why you and I both like the, the 80s version more, is because they really do kind of give her a little bit of an edge of 
being an asshole towards Paul that yeah. you don't you they just don't give them enough interaction for you to see that yet. And maybe they play yeah. that up a little bit more because like uh, the two of them becoming a couple and uh, and really being you know what springs off everything else that comes through the next five books uh, that doesn't happen right away. Like there's there's a lot yeah. of build to that. So. And so, I think Jessica fights against them becoming a couple. If I yeah, Jessica's, Jessica's like adamantly against it, which I mean, I guess you haven't read far enough in the books. I can't go on. <laughs> okay. I guess Jessica well, I got, might not be wrong after all, but you know. You, yeah, you have, part you two have, Part two isn't for another two years, right? Is that what I, it, think that's I right. don't know if they got the green light, so I yeah. got time. I'll read them all. I, I, say, I, heard, it, I heard they've they have greenlit the next part, so they did. It's definitely going to happen. I assume that it does seem like it did really well. Yeah, and it hasn't been like... First a couple weeks. It hasn't been panned by critics or the audience, really. I mean, other than the the fact that they were... uh, They're culturally appropriating Islam. Yeah, explain this to me. I I didn't really... I don't know a whole lot about the whole Islamic undertones or whatever. Uh, <laughs> or we don't have don't to get know, into like, it. <laughs> it's I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. Like the way Frank Herbert kind of builds the Okay, so my problem with the article that talked about how they were culturally appropriating Islamic Islam and all this stuff and that it was it had the Islamic undertones without actually having uh, Muslims in it and all this dumb shit that they uh, that this article talked about um, that all really comes into play with the Fremen culture there are strong Islamic overtones throughout the entire kind of universe because something that like the Balerian Jihad is what led to there being no more computers and and was kind of a big turning point in in this universe. And so there are there are certain uh, aspects of it like the way that the military is is kind of construed and um, some of the religious kind of overtones of just the general galactic culture. It has mm-hmm. uh, yeah. kind of a, a light Islamic foundation. But but where the, the, the real meat of that, the faith and stuff like that comes in is once you get into the Fremen culture and you really start to see Paul... Uh, like take his place as their savior in that, uh, you know, the, as their Messiah in that culture. Um, that's when you really start to see that play out more. So I, I had a problem with there being this like big gripe about that. They didn't uh, properly portray it. They haven't gotten to that part of the story yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it didn't need to be portrayed any more than what it was. Like you can very clearly tell, by everything well like as soon as they land on the planet 
you can tell that this is a that this culture has a foundation in Islam. Like they have a very it, it has a very Muslim overtone to it. It's not like they glossed that over. Like I mean, yeah. did you did you have any doubt about that as soon as they land on the planet and you no, see No, I mean, yeah, they they look like everything about Middle Easterners. All of the people who are here, <laughs> like you and just looking at the city itself, like you know, it's not like they yeah. whitewashed it. I mean, uh, and, it's and then, not, I mean, Paul is, uh, it, it's destiny is sort of to wage a jihadi war, right? Eventually. Right. And I we'll think, get to that. I think a gripe that somebody had was that they, see, I don't recall this, that they used crusade instead the word crusade instead of jihad to refer to something and i how did they replace it see and i don't know specifically what that what that's in reference to like i don't remember that uh specifically so like i mean and i don't know maybe because i don't go into a movie looking for literally any possible reason to be offended i don't pick up on that stuff but yeah yeah it's interesting because um when Jessica has Paul's sister, the daughter, I read in a, I don't know, it was like a commentary or something that the daughter actually represents, what's her name going to be? Ali, I mm-hmm. think. Alia. She kind of comes out of the womb, no, like with full like consciousness of who she is. And she knows that she's kind of a blend of good and evil. And she kind of has this original sin. And that has like, Christian connotations to it as well. And I think Herbert put that in there, there intentionally. Yeah, there's a lot more there's a lot more nuance to the books than than just Islam. Like he he really he blends a lot of uh religious thematic elements throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. It, mm-hmm. It's not exclusively about Islam. Uh, yeah. He does take a lot of and I, I have to find it. There was actually a like a piece that was written about this, about why he built his universe that way, um, and it was really interesting. And I, I got to go find it, and, and I'll have to reread it. He's um, very much in this. He, I mean, he he was a uh, he was friends with Frank Herbert, Frank, or not Frank Herbert. He is Frank Herbert. He's friends with uh, Robert Heinlein. Yeah, and they're very similar in that they kind of they're science fiction writers in the 60s. It seems like there's a common theme. They're kind of more libertarian-minded. They they have a distrust of the government. And you see that also in Herbert's writing with the whole empire, with the emperor and a distrust of the, the galactic empire and such. So this is kind of Herbert's uh, background. I also read he was like a staunch anti-communist as well, but and also like related to Joseph McCarthy. Like distantly. Did you read this? <laughs> Yeah, I guess he wasn't a fan of McCarthy's whole uh, blacklisting tactics, which I might be these days. But <laughs> but he, yeah, he, he wasn't a fan of the Soviet Union. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of, uh, especially as you read the books, there are a lot of political connotations to this. Like there's there are, there are interesting religious themes and overtones. There's also... You know, like like we were talking about at the beginning of the spice and, and Arrakis is like oil in the Middle East. I mean, and yeah, well, I think uh, the Soviet Union, like 
So the U.S. was in Vietnam during the writing of this. I think the Soviet Union was actually in Afghanistan at yeah. this point in time. Yeah. Because Afghanistan took down that empire, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody yeah. learns their lessons. So... So there's a you know there's a lot going on in these books and it's it's written in a you know in a sci-fi setting. It, it's like we talked about last time we talked like these authors were brilliant and they had a lot of really big ideas about religion, about the world, about politics, about all of these things. And instead of writing political commentary they craft this uh, incredible universe and they tell the stories of what we are seeing in our lifetimes Mm -hmm. they tell it in a way that it's engaging and if you're not looking for a story about politics and religion then you're just going to get a good space soap opera about giant worms and uh jihads and if you are looking for that stuff you can find it and you can be like "Ooh, look at that Ooh, look at that like holy shit this this is like telling the story of our world right now like yeah it's it's It's, uh really interesting the timing of this movie too so uh, you've heard of like predictive programming, right? So like um, movies in the 90s portrayed the Twin Towers (laughs) being being run through wetlands or whatever. And then what, eight years later, you got planes running into the buildings, whatever whatever narrative you want to believe (laughs) regarding 9-11. Or even just 10 years ago, you had things like Hunger Games and Divergent come out and it portrayed this dystopian, chaotic nightmare that we seem to be living in right now. So that was sort of predicting what was going to come in the next few years. I wonder where we're kind of like in a chaotic time now and Dune kind of portrays chaos where and um, Paul was kind of like the guy to come bring order to the universe I just wonder what sort of predictive programming is going on with bringing this movie out at this time and what we might be in store for in the future. Just something to think about. How, how old is Baron Trump? Is he 15? <laughs> That's the air. This is his destiny. <laughs> well, you got anything else on the movie or the book? Uh, I think we pretty, I mean, I think we pretty thoroughly covered this one just on the. Yeah. It's hard to cover it beyond a surface level because, you know, like I've said several times throughout talking about it, um, what they do next is going to be a lot more important than what they did for this one. I, I think, um, I, like I thought this one set a really good table. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know anything about Dune, you probably came away from this confused as hell. Um, but hopefully you go read the book and then you understand like the, the backstory behind it and get more of the nuance and then you're prepared for the next one and and if it doesn't live yeah. up to it you can be disappointed along with me and you and everybody else and one thing you miss in movies is, unless you have subtitles on but those get distracting is dialogue and the dialogue in dune is great like you get some great quotes out of Dune. yeah yeah and just you know and overall a thing that is always a disconnect between a book and a movie 
is the written word has all of this explanation and detail and mm-hmm. and you get all of that nuance that in a movie it's virtually impossible to get unless you just have a narrator telling the story as you go and that's annoying as shit like nobody wants to yeah. go nobody wants to go yeah. watch a movie to listen to somebody talk about what's going on in the movie so uh, you know unless you're watching uh science theater 3000 or whatever uh, <laughs> but i felt like the the movie did a good job of showing you what it what it is without really telling you all of the backstory so yeah and maybe that was deliberate maybe they wanted it to be this thing that people would go see this big flashy like impressive thing and then be like oh shit well why is all of that important and you know do some more research and go read a book and and get more into it and yeah maybe, maybe it was deliberate maybe not maybe they were just trying right. to like no i was to say it's funny i was watching it uh, my brother asked me what I was doing. I was like, I'm watching Do, and he's like, What's that? And I was like, Oh, it's a good book. Turned into a movie. I said, You should check it out. So he started watching it, and he texts me, and he goes, They're just trying to copy Star Wars. He's a big fan of Star Wars. I was like, Go check the publishing date of Dune, and then check when Star Wars came out. And he come back at me with that statement. He's like, Oh, my bad. Maybe Star <laughs> Wars copied from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Wars is a cheap knockoff of Dune. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they only have they only have one space worm, and it only then <laughs> it kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we have more to talk about over the next two years before the next Dune movie comes out. Yeah. Then I'm sure I think, I think some things might happen between now and then that that could spark some conversation. I'm sure if nothing else, you'll read the next two Dune books and then we can talk about the the first three and the stories that are laid out in those and what we expect them to do with the next two movies. There we go. I've also been reading uh, Foundation at your at your recommendation, too. So how are you liking that so far? I do. I finished the first one and I liked it. And it, it kind of it's also kind of tells the future as far as like when they talk about like trade and stuff and how <laughs> all this trade made them weak. And now they got to figure out how to, how to be self-sustainable again. And it's like, all these people knew what they were talking about back then. Maybe we should have listened. Like that's one that anybody who hasn't as awesome as Dune is, like if somebody's looking to really maybe understand some of the, uh, like the more lofty things that are going on in in our world right now, I think Foundation is really a good book to read, just to kind of get a uh, a really cool story told around what we're seeing in real time. Uh, like I, I really do think Foundation is an excellent starter for for some of that, uh, yeah. like you know the the group think mentality type stuff, and yeah, like the the decay of an empire. Uh, yeah. It's, it is really, it, it really is. Uh, and they're pretty quick reads too. So Yeah. I mean, they, they go, they go fast, especially the, the foundation books because they are broken up into. So each book is like shorter stories in this universe. So they do go quick because like, you've got the story of, of the different characters and they jump through, they jump through time. So, you know, it's not super linear. 
like from the time, <clears throat> excuse me, from the time you have, you know, the original stories of, um, of him doing his thesis on why the empire is going to collapse and being banished and establishing foundation on terminus at the ass crack, uh, you know, all the way at the edge of the universe, um, to the first like big event that where the unit or, you know, where the empire is starting to crack and collapse. It's like 500 years passes or something. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Like the way they break the story out, you get all of these individual stories throughout the book. And so it does make it a really quick read because like, because he progresses the stories along fairly quickly. Like you, you, this thing is happening and there's a solution for it. And, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of seeing it all, how it builds up to it, what happens and then how they come through it and how that was part of this plan that this guy had come up with forever ago by just looking at basic human nature over all of the history of humanity and saying, all right, people are fucking stupid and this is what they're going to do from now until they kill themselves off. And we're going to try to keep them from killing themselves off. Uh, so yeah, I think foundation is one that that should be foundational reading for anybody. There who we go. <laughs> That's a dad joke. <laughs> I'm a, if you could see me right now, if you believed in uh, public schools, then foundation would be in the required reading section. <laughs> if you were the head, Amen. is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. I'm, I was, if you can see me right now, I'm fully embracing my uh, my dad mode. I'm, I've got khakis and house slippers on, and I got my glasses on. And, uh, <laughs> I even parted my hair like my dad does. I, yes, your uh, your your lawnmower uh, tennis shoes on and. Got the, the grill fired up in the back. It might be too cold to grill. I don't know. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, today, anyway. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. Um, we might have even had a few people that watched us during this. So, Hopefully we didn't turn them away. If, you ha- if you're still in there, go watch the movie. And this conversation uh, will make this, <laughs> this Dune book sounds pretty cool, even if the movie yeah. uh, might not give us a whole lot of... Uh, maybe we should watch the movie and read the book. Do both. It both at the same time because you could probably go. read the you could probably read the book in the time it takes you to watch the movie. It's kind of a long movie. Yeah, I loved it though. Like, okay, before before we wrap, when you were done, did it feel like did it feel like it had been a two and a half hour movie? No, no, it it went by pretty quickly. Yeah, like I, I was enjoying it. Yeah, like I, I told my son we were gonna watch, uh, so I watched it and then. Uh, and then I watched it with him on, so I watched it in our bedroom on the little TV and then, mm-hmm. then I watched it on the big screen with him in the living room. And it's like, it's, it's two and a half minutes, two and a half hours. So, you know, get ready. Cause we're on, you know, it's going to be a long haul. And, but it, it didn't feel like that. Like it didn't yeah. feel like a long movie. It like, it was over and it's like, Oh shit. It's, it's been over two hours. That's like, that's the quickest two hours of my life. Yeah. And I, uh, my, the second time I watched it, I went with a friend of mine to the theater and she hadn't read the books and she enjoyed the movie. So I don't know if it motivated her to read the books, but she said it was enjoyable. And she said she actually could follow, follow along pretty quickly. So okay, coming from I someone mean, who hasn't read the books. If, if a book can, 
can be appealing to someone who hasn't read it and they can at least somewhat follow along and maybe even get more interested in it. I think it served its purpose. Yeah. We should probably apologize to our friend Mac for not doing the, uh, the sock puppet reenactment of the movie. <laughs> See, my sock puppets aren't ready yet. I still got to sew the, the uh, buttons for eyes on there. There we go. It's forthcoming. That's right. Uh, that'll be our, uh, That'll be the project that we work on between now and the second movie coming out. There we go. <laughs> we'll get the sock puppet reenactment done. Well, thanks a lot. That's a lot of fun. You got anything to plug? Tell people about your uh, your Substack again before we go. Uh, MarkMetz.substack.com. Justin says that he reads everything. Hopefully that's one of the things that he reads. It is. should be something coming out next or tomorrow, actually. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Awesome. Justin. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mark.